0: episode is a very special one because it is a crossover episode with the journal Borderlines and we have with us Olga Verlato and Antara Chakraborty, who are editors at Borderlines. I will ask Olga and Antara to introduce themselves a little bit and talk about Borderlines before we move on to our questions.
1: Thank you so much, Sharonik, for having us here. I'm Olga. I'm a PhD candidate at New York University in the Department of History and Middle Eastern and Islamic Studies. I joined Borderlines a few months back as a contributing editor to the Middle East. And at Borderlines, what we try to do is to bring together theory with studies that are also attentive to local specificities of different regions and do so in such a way that goes beyond or puts in conversation different disciplines and different regions that are not usually examined together. And so to do so across and within the borders of area studies and disciplines, hence also the title we have.
2: Hi, I am Antara. I am also a PhD student in the Department of Anthropology in Columbia University. And I also, like Olga, joined Borderlines a few months ago as a contributing editor for South Asia. Borderlines is a student research scholar-run journal, which is also affiliated with the Duke University Press Journal publication, Comparative Studies of South Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. And Olga put it so nicely that we're a site that attempts to bring together all of these different academic conversations and trying to think along these areas, but also moving away from what area studies entails.
0: We are talking today about the scholarly formation theory from the South, which borderlines takes up with such elan. So let me ask you my first question. What the heck is theory from the South?
1: Theory from the South is a very broad term. And there is isn't. This- Tension. So on the one hand, the risk of essentializing the South bit in theory from the South, I mean, such a broad part of the world. And this is, of course, a critique that has been made by many scholars uh, for decades now. But then, on the other hand, you have the very empowering and thoughtful, and some of the most cutting edge conversations that I personally have enjoyed that come precisely through conversations and critiques or reframings of, for example, South South connections. And part of it is the ethical and political dimension that they have. And so we like to think of this tension between this risk of essentializing, but also at the same time, the very productive power that this has. Personally, as a historian, one of these debates that have emerged in relation to thinking with theory from the South is the question of universalizing versus historicism. And this is, I mean, for example, from Chakravarty's provincializing Europe, this idea that uh, you can engage enthusiastically with Marx or Hegel without having to justify a reason for doing that and also without necessarily having to historicize their thought within the specific time period or place in which it was produced. You can kind of just run with it and see where it takes you. And this does not happen to the same extent with theorists or intellectuals from other regions of the world. So there is also a very interesting article by Omnan Shakri. She's a cultural and intellectual historian, and she engages precisely with this question, and she speaks of the freeing move of being able to read creatively and enthusiastically with a theorist in the now, to detach it necessarily from specific historical context or place in which this was developed and really see the kind of work that it can do across different regions and across different times. So again, as a historian, this kind of critique of overtly historicizing really... close to my heart. But at the same time, I I do see this as a very empowering move and something that can be very productive.
2: I feel like we all came across the term the South from different disciplines and in different ways. And uh, the first time that I came across the term was in, in development theory, because I was a development studies student. It's so interesting to see how the term starts gaining a lot of Importance, but then also becomes very all encompassing, which is something that we keep uh, having to figure out as we write about theory from the south what it is about the category that makes it so useful, and to move away from the Western Anglophone canon as the driver of theory, and also to move away from certain. Very linear temporalities and progressivist notions, which is where it all started that the term South was made useful to push back against the notion that the North is more progressive. But then you start seeing a lot of the conversations under this umbrella of South-South also becoming quite flat in terms of power relations and so to remind ourselves that we also need to bring those differences that are within back to the forefront without essentializing them at the same time
0: so this episode is also unusual because i believe you have questions for me
2: we do yeah yeah
0: thank you so much for asking questions (laughs) we don't often get asked about high theory so please
2: okay Yeah, What is High Theory and what's the origin story of High Theory?
0: Our origin story, in some ways, is very commonplace in a sense that because of the pandemic, there was this kind of efflorescence of podcasts all around and we definitely belong to that group of podcasts which came up during this time. So my co-host Kim Adams and I, we shared an office at NYU and we spent a long time in wildly associative conversations when we should have been working you know then the pandemic happened and we went into lockdown in march 2020 and we realized that we really miss kind of talking to each other and high theory was born out of that need to keep talking to each other i should say that high theory actually begins a little before it was kim and her colleague gina dominic who came up with this idea but then it kind of didn't happen back then and it was Resuscitated in 2020. We cover critical theory, cultural criticism, ideas that can't be slotted in, into either of these categories. But mainly in terms of format, we kind of celebrate the associative, the digressive, and the tangential. And we try to do this in 15 minutes because our episodes are very very short. So that's high theory. It's actually been a year. We are, you know, our anniversary is in the first week of August. So we are very excited about that as well. And we did not believe that we would last this long, honestly.
2: <laughs> so Congratulations, firstly. And this Thank seems like a good moment to have this collaborative podcast episode where you get to talk about high theory. Yes,
0: absolutely. Let me ask you my next question, which is how do we use theory from the south?
2: We wanted to use theory from the south to start complicating the many ways in which we often go about dealing with theory And it's always this process of trying to figure this thing out about what is the South as not a fixed place, but as relations, which is very complicated and hard to talk about, but also still very important to do that and let that
1: complexity just be. And then you also find these very, I guess, concrete ways in which you can actually see applications of what it means and what kind of impact it can have to theorize from the South. We have this interview that our editor to the Middle East, Simon Conrad, is doing, which is actually about to come out. So stay tuned for that. So he was speaking with doctors Jordani and Safeddin, mm-hmm. who translated and curated the translation of Mahdi Amel, who was a Arab Marxist thinker and militant. And they decided to do this kind of work of translation because Mahdi Amel is known much less internationally because compared to other Arab Marxist thinkers, he did not publish extensively in French and English. And so by doing this work of translation, you're really making this work in its entirety and its complexity, not not just as an example of Marxist thought, but as its own body of theory and of scholarship into the English-speaking audience, I mean, hopefully starting with our syllabi, but, you know, even potentially beyond that. And so that was one recent example in which, as Antara was saying, like theory from the South is something that when you think about it can really take you a thousand places. And it's nice to have this kind of reminder of what kind of work can be done. And this speaks to a broader concern, which is the balance between where the theory has traditionally come from, I mean, North American and western european tradition and other regions being used just as like a case study or as a source of primary sources and information and so this kind of recentering can really allow us to take a thinker and a theory such as Mahdi Amal and make it core to the way we can think yeah,
2: yeah and theory from the south also allows us to have the scholarship from different regions and disciplines actually sit alongside each other which you wouldn't otherwise see happen, and Borderlines also lets them kind of sit alongside each other, and you find these myriad connections crop up, which you wouldn't have otherwise, which is always really fun to see afterwards.
1: I guess we can... Ask you our second question. Yeah, please. Which is a bit of a I don't know cheeky one maybe, (laughs) but I mean your podcast is called High Theory, and so we were curious about what's the high of High Theory, uh, or how does theory get you high?
0: Well, my first reaction to the question is LOL. Uh, (laughs) We'll have to be careful what I say here. Jokes aside, I think what about theory gets you high, possibly, is the fact that doing theory is an activity of some kind of deeper rationality. It's boldly associative thinking and the kind of boldness that then gives you that thrill. We see theory as something that the mind does at a particular time, but it's not something that a particular set of people do. That's something that was essential for us when we started High Theory to kind of do away with senses of gatekeeping and exclusion. How will Theory from the South save the world?
1: I don't think I can say yes or no, not because there's not an answer, but I'm not going to give the definitive answer to this question. But I've been thinking a lot about this with Antara and just with so many generous friends and colleagues in academia and beyond academia. So if we're thinking at the very least about impact, It's really important to keep in mind the kind of system that we operate in in terms of recognition and visibility and even funding and who and where gets to say what and what kind of intellectual production gets prioritized or gets more visibility. And just to return to this interview that is coming out soon about the work of Mahdi Amel. So I think it was Dr. Giordani actually who was talking a little bit about the behind the scenes of this project of translation. And so basically she was saying that when you embark in this project, rather than writing your quote-unquote traditional historical monograph, for example, right. there is definitely a different level of recognition within the system of academia. Yeah. And as if... <laughs> translation was not in itself one of the most historical processes and projects that you can do, like taking this text and making it available for the present reader. This project, for example, may not count to the same extent to our tenure track mm. than others would. So it's something that we are constantly reminded of and that it's really imperative to make our own and in our practice and in our syllabi and in the bibliographies we read and that hopefully we'll put out there at some point to, again, like to go back to what Antara was saying, so that like thinking for South South connection or, or the global South does not remain a kind of flat exercise, but it's really brought back to the system in which we operate and the shortcomings, but also the potentials that mm. that it has. Yeah.
2: There's this pedagogical tool that theory from the South becomes. How do I say this? The term in borderline history first came from a conference where. Prathama Banerjee, Aditya Nigam, and Partha Chatterjee was speaking, which was then published as interviews for Borderlines as well by Shohini. Mm. And Shohini had interviews with Prathama Banerjee, for example. And she was also talking about it later to both Olga and I that there was this tendency to see the syllabi in our classes be overpopulated by recent historians and anthropologists Mm. within the U.S. and Europe. We wanted to see scholars from these other regions and also scholars from other regions who are not as established as well. So younger scholars would hardly reach the syllabus. And so Shohini mentioned how this was also a way to start interviewing them and make borderlines a pedagogical tool for undergrads and Mm. let these discussions enter the syllabi as well. Right. It keeps pushing back against, therefore, some of these established concepts that we keep reading more and more in academia because you start reading different kinds of people all right. Should yeah. I ask the final question? Please, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Sharunik, what does working on a podcast as a part of theory making feel like a method? Yeah. Because I also feel like working on a podcast starts enmeshing with your own interests in your own work. Yeah. So how is this process like as a method for this podcast, for your work, for your life?
0: You know, it's interesting because Algo was talking about the kind of illegibility of like this kind of work in tenure track documents. And like right now, I am amassing my job materials and I am thinking very much about how to represent the podcast, whether it is legible or visible at all. But this is also a question that we will be pondering. This is just a plug. But in this fall, October 15th and 16th, High Theory and a couple of other like-minded podcasts. We have formed this group called the Humanities Podcast Network, and we are organizing the inaugural Humanities Podcasting Symposium, and we have more than one roundtable on this very topic, which is, you know, what does it mean to do a podcast as scholarship? Can it be peer-reviewed? What does it mean to produce knowledge in this form? But this is also, you know, before I talk about high theory specifically, my personal journey Starts a little bit early because, in, as an undergrad myself, I was really scared of theory with the capital T. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: and I don't know if Antara might relate to this a little bit. So when I was an undergrad, there used to be this kind of intro to theory books like Peter Barry, and I actually tried to find the book and I found it and I have this paragraph. So this is from the introduction of Peter Barry's Beginning Theory, which is kind of the standard theory textbook that undergrads who are studying English or the humanities in India, read. And the goes something like this. The simple answer is that after the moment of theory, there comes inevitably the hour of theory, when it ceases to be the exclusive concern of a dedicated minority and enters the intellectual bloodstream as a taken-for-granted aspect of the curriculum. At this stage, the glamour fades, the charisma is routinized, and it becomes the day-to-day business of quite a large number of people to learn or teach or both this material. There are evident dangers of oversimplifying things, and so offering a false reassurance to students facing the difficulties of this topic for the first time. All the same, the main responsibility of anyone attempting a book like this one is to meet the demand for clear explanation and demonstration. Now, what really strikes me is that despite this kind of manifesto, I didn't feel at any point during my undergrads welcomed by this misty, nebulous, unreachable Formation that theory was. And so that kind of stayed with me. And obviously, I got more comfortable through my MA and when I was doing my PhD, but that discomfort stayed with me. And I was really interested in what that discomfort meant because it had certain class connotations as well. Like, who has that kind of socio intellectual clout or position to feel comfortable about theory and all of that? So I've thought about this for years and years. So when we were doing high theory, one of the things that we wanted to do. And by all means, and I will be the first to admit that we are not always successful in doing this, but we wanted to try and break the kind of exclusionary gatekeeping nature of doing theory, so to speak. And you've had feedback of people using high theory in classrooms. You know, I've taught with podcasts in my own classrooms as well. So for me, that's the highlight of theory making as a podcaster, which is to break up certain kind of monoliths and to make it more easily transposable and transmissible digital thing. Not an NFT or something, but...
2: (laughs) I think there's something so valuable in what... I mean, this podcast and a magazine seemingly do very disparate things are doing also something... So similar, I mean, at least having a very similar sensibility in terms of accessibility, in terms of making complicated things just a little bit easier to grasp, but also to let life's complexities kind of just be and let people. Absorb them and sit with them and take some time with them.
0: Yeah, that is so crucial because you know the pressure again. Like this is just like trauma for my undergrads. But like when I was undergrad, the pressure always was to sort of solve and understand with a capital U. And like, oh, you don't get this point about Derrida. I mean, the point is like, yeah, no one gets it. You yeah. just like <laughs> read a million times, and you know, it's it's just complex for everyone.
2: Yeah.
1: It's so, so interesting. And I think the kind of stuff that you guys are doing is really innovative in itself. And I would not be surprised if this was going to happen more and more, honestly, with everything you also said about technology and how we acquire knowledge and information and time.
2: Yeah. And also, like, honestly, the podcast, it just keeps bringing back my own feelings of needing a short video or a short pointer on these big names. Yeah. I didn't come from a humanities background as an undergrad. I did statistics. So when I entered this social science, humanities situation, I kept thinking that, oh, my God, can someone please give me a 10-minute video on this big name that everyone seems to know about, but I have absolutely no (laughs) clue.
0: Yeah. It becomes, like, more opaque with each usage, right? Because, like, you know, everybody uses it. And then at some point, you start using it without actually understanding. And I've definitely done that in the past, just to kind of feel included in the conversation. And it's really kind of a cumulative effect of exclusion, which is not great.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Well, thank you, Antora and Olga, so much for coming to High Theory with Model Lines. Thank you. And talking to us about theory from the South. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you,
1: Sharonik. No, thank you so, so much for having us. This was great.
2: Thank you so much, Sharonik. This was so
1: much fun. And thank you for listening to High Theory.